Good morning, family. Would you stand with us? We're going to stand and worship. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Yes. It can feel like routine sometimes because it's Sunday. It's like, I'm going to church, but God is not, does not have any boundaries this morning. God does not have any limits. And so I just encourage you to worship from that place today. From a place of freedom, from a place of just total abandonment. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your house. We thank you for this building. That we get to come and just dedicate this time to you. Jesus, unite every heart in this room. God, let there be freedom in this place. Freedom to worship you. Freedom to know you deeper, Lord. Let us hear you. Let us see you. come before you with confidence this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty of the Lord grants you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
bridge again. I feel like um, God's saying to us today that you've taken an initial step in your walk with me maybe a long time ago. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was five years ago. But that he doesn't want you to stop walking with him. He doesn't want you to stop taking those steps of faith. Because there's no limit to who he is. There's no limit to what he wants to do in your life and how he wants to partner with you. And he wants to rekindle that in your heart this morning. If you would just take that step out. Don't be complacent. Don't stay where you've been. There's so much more. You sing that bridge again. Spirit, lead me. Don't you want more this morning? 
sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your son our savior jesus christ who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the holy spirit one god now and forever amen stop <laughs> bud Coming from all over. If you will please join me in praying, reach out your hands, and we'll pray for these children as they get ready to go to Sunday school. Lord, we pray that you would bless them, that you would reveal yourself to them in a very special way, Lord God, that you would watch over them and prepare them, Lord, and continue to build these kids up, Lord, part of our kingdom. Oh, got you in the head. Lord, bless them all. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can go. Good morning. Our first lesson comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 through 9. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and have you not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. It is a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul. It is to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes. Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, 
to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you would break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked to cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 112. We'll read responsibly at the asterisk. Hallelujah. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. He provides greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generations of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright. There arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteousness. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will hide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His form will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This morning's second reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Now we have received... Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritually judges all things, that he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The word of the Lord.
chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to thee, Lord Christ.
Lord, we lift up this day to you, Father. We pray that even as we prayed in the collect, that you would set us free from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So today, in case you didn't know, is an amazing and wonderful day. We are welcoming my youngest, Margot Bloom Harris, into the kingdom of God through her baptism this morning. So I'm very excited today. Thank you. And today I'm going to talk about really what does it mean that we are baptized into the kingdom of God? What is the people of God? What are the people of God? Because honestly, I need a refresher. If I look at my life and the way that I live, the way that I act, the way that I think, I could probably get adjusted a little bit. I could probably learn something today as I sing these worship songs, as I hear those powerful scriptures, as I approach the table of the Lord and Eucharist and communion, I have to admit that I have failed. In case any of you thought that you were going to get a sermon from someone who has figured it all out, that is not the case this morning. And if you ever think that, think again. Unless Jesus is standing here this morning, every one of us need to think about the ways in which we have failed. And so as I talk today about what Jesus said in his gospel, I want you all to know that I have lost my saltiness. I have covered my life, and I have not represented a city on the hill where people can come, refugees, people who are burdened and oppressed can be set free. I haven't lived in such a way that has shown the world the goodness of God. And so when we're talking about these things, that is the attitude that I have as I approach the gospel this morning. In fact, anytime you get a reading from the Sermon on the Mount, you just have to stop for a second. Because Jesus does not hold back. Every line in that sermon, his most famous, right? All of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, all of those lines are convicting to me. And so as I talk about it this morning, it was really fun to be studying this passage and preparing for it. And I get a text message from my sister and brother-in-law who are in Israel right now. And so we'll throw that picture up. This is actually the site, we believe, of the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's a really interesting moment. I'm literally in the moment thinking about Jesus preaching these words, and I get this text message. They just got to Israel yesterday, and they're walking around and seeing the holy sites. And you know what else we've lost? We've lost the saltiness of a lived, embodied Jesus Christ who walked right there on this earth. Some of the saltiness the church has lost is that we make it a, a program. A self-improvement program, a self-help place, a, a, a community you can be a part of. And we lose the reality. No, God of the universe walked on this earth. Like there, in the picture. Like what? I, I don't know about you, but I, it just refreshed me this morning to think about the fact that God cares about the ground on which we walk. He walks there too. He created it, and then he came down so that we could be a part of that embodied existence that he lived on earth. So as we're reading this too, I don't want you to think of it as some moral text that some philosopher thought up in his ivory tower. This is Jesus standing in front of you just like I am today saying, here is the kingdom of God. Come be a part of it. This is what it looks like. That's what we're talking about this morning. So let's go ahead and we'll start in Matthew 5. 
verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Okay. We need a little bit of digging to figure out what Jesus is saying here, right? Nowadays, when we call somebody salty, it's not necessarily a compliment, right? Are you being salty with me? Like, what's going on here? Jesus is trying to point to something that we've almost lost in our modern usage of salt, right? We taste, we get that, right? Salt that's tasteless. Who would, nobody wants that. Always need good, tasty salt. In fact, one of the best foods that's ever existed, bacon. What's the key flavor that you get out of bacon? It's that salty richness, the fat that just sits with you, right? Imagine tasteless bacon. That's awful. And Jesus is saying, hey, what's going to happen if you lose your saltiness? It's awful. We'll throw that to the street. But there's another aspect of this. Back then, especially before refrigeration, salt was the primary preservative. So when you gathered your food to feed your family, if you didn't have salt that could be effective in preserving food, you would lose it. It would rot. Have you ever seen a science experiment that you accidentally left on the counter and the mold is growing and multiplying? I mean, once again, throw it into the streets. So there's a preservative aspect of it. There's a taste aspect of it. And there's a purification aspect of salt. In fact, even in the baptism today, we're using holy water to baptize Margot. And in our holy water, there's always a sprinkling of salt. And what it does is it symbolizes the purifying nature of the Spirit of God in the water. In fact, if you look at the ancient symbolism, they say it's the element of fire being added to the water, the fire of the Spirit, the saltiness of the water. It's not, it's not empty, powerless, thin water. It's salty water. And trust me, if you've ever had a drink of the Pacific Ocean, you can tell salt water versus not salt water. The problem with us today is that you can't tell the church from the not church. And that's what Jesus was warning them about. In fact, I would argue that he was already critiquing the Pharisees and the Sadducees frequently on this same thing. Yeah, sure, you're trying to follow Yahweh, the God of the Torah, the Old Testament, all the scriptures. But you're acting like a priest of any other God, putting undue burdens on the people and making it about your glory, your religiosity, and not about loving and serving the people. Losing the saltiness. And so Jesus was calling and calling forth the people in front of him and warning us for all time to not get caught up in that game. We are to save the world and preserve it. But if you look at the world and you look at what the church has done, we could do better. I don't want, I don't want to sit here for a long time because this could be a huge topic about how the culture... What is our role as the church in the culture? So I'm just going to say this. If you don't affect the culture, then you've lost your saltiness. Fair. Period. We all know what it's like when you go and you become friends with somebody who is an addict of some kind. Maybe they're a TV addict. Maybe they're an alcohol addict. Maybe they're a drug addict. All of us have probably engaged with somebody like that at some point or another. Do you pull them out of their addiction or do they pull you towards it? 
I know for me, when I worked in the restaurant industry, there was a lot of people who were living lifestyles that I did not admire, that I did not want, and yet I felt myself being drawn to their way of thinking, drawn to their way of living. I was drawn to lose my saltiness, right? They knew me as the pastor's kid, the guy who wants to be a pastor someday, and so I was kind of an oddity to them, right? And yet still I was being pulled in this direction. I found myself... Uh, wanting to be a part of their life, their lifestyle. And I had to remind myself, oh, yeah, I am not of this world. I'm here, hopefully, to pull them in to the goodness of God. And I'll say one more thing about that. I think we can get really twisted in this culture because we think it's not my place to critique how they live their life, right? That's kind of common social etiquette nowadays, that we, none of us should impose our faith on others. But do you know what? There is nothing that I wouldn't give to invite my friends into the comfort, the joy, the sustenance, everything that I get from God in my life. I think about especially my worst moments when a friend has died or a betrayal has happened. And I honestly think to this day the only reason I'm still here the way that I am is because of God's presence in those moments. And I think about all my friends who don't have that. How do they live without the goodness of God, the comfort, the presence of God? And so I want to invite them to that. If you don't think our Christian life is worth inviting people into, you aren't paying attention. You need to enter in more. There's better things. There's deeper, richer joy, wisdom, courage. All of these things are offered to us in our faith. And I want to invite people into it. And that leads us straight into this taste argument, because the big problem in the world is disordered affections. It's kind of a technical term, but the point is we want what we shouldn't want. We want things that are bad for us. In fact, that very same thing, bacon, that I want so bad, can sometimes be a disordered affection. Sometimes I want too much bacon, right? Even good things we want too much of. And so our tastes are shaped, our affections, our desires, our tastes are shaped by our culture for things that are unworthy of us. In fact, C.S. Lewis has this great quote. I won't quote it in the entirety, but he says, we ignore the invitation for a holiday at the beach while we're making mud pies in the slum. Like, what are we focused on? Is Netflix binging? Is that your joy in life? Is getting to the weekend so you can go to a bar and hit on women and drink a bunch of drinks and go home and sleep it off and get up the next day and try and find another way to find that that desire, that party? Now, maybe most of us aren't doing that particular thing, but man, I feel convicted when I think about the ways that I live my life so that I can read my book at the end of the night and have my cup of scotch. Not a bad thing. However, if that's what I'm living for, I'm doing it wrong. What are you living for? What are you training your affections for? What is what excites you in your life? Do you have a mission? Do you have a goal? Do you have something you're looking for? Now, I am so blessed to have four beautiful children who remind me every day that there's more in life to live for than Netflix and scotch. Who remind me that there's more in life that I'm called to do. 
Now, sometimes I don't like that they remind me that I have other things to do, but it keeps me grounded in some way. But I want to invite each one of you. God has a purpose for your life that is so much better, so much deeper than anything you've experienced before. In fact, Kristen was just inviting us into that today. Lead us deeper than my feet would ever wander. We need to go farther in. Otherwise, we'll lose our saltiness. Okay. There's a lot more here. We're going to keep going. We're going to go with you are the light of the world in verse 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. So what's the symbolism of light? Well, light illuminates, right? It shows us reality. It shows us the truth. True light shows us what is real. It both shows us the good, the beautiful. In fact, you cannot look at your beautiful spouse or a beautiful painting without light. They might be there, but without light, you can't see. However, and this one we don't like so much, light also shows us our own inadequacies. It shows us what's wrong. In fact, I heard an illustration, right? It's like sometimes you flip on a light and you see the bugs that are crawling in the corner. You see the thing that you don't want to see in your life. But the invitation of being the light of the world is that Jesus came. He exposed our weakness. That's number one, right? That's what we're afraid of when the light comes. But then he showed us that we could enter into a better way. He showed us the way. Take up your cross and follow me. In fact, he invited us into the light of resurrected life. Because what we want to do is when we see the sin and the shame and the difficulty in our life, we want to hide it from everybody else. We want to wrap ourselves around it so nobody can see. And all you do when you do that, when you don't have somebody that you open up to, where you don't let the light in, where you don't talk to Jesus about it, all that happens is that it takes control of you. But if you, as we're encouraged to, confess your sins, God is faithful and just. And he will deliver you and he will forgive them and he will redeem it. Now, that means not just on Sunday mornings when nobody can hear you. In fact, I, I want to argue today that you need to find somebody that you can talk to about the things that you're struggling with. Whether that's a home group leader, we also have uh, the, the sacrament of reconciliation where you can go to confession with a priest. Light is about renewal, not just about truth, about the good things. It's absolutely that. And we need to have our eyes open to the goodness of God. But it's also about exposing the lies that we once believed that need to crumble. And if you don't ever bring anybody into your weakness, into your pain, into your difficulties, into your brokenness, your brokenness will rule you. You're giving it control over you. That's why they say light is the best disinfectant, right? And so I just want to argue today that part of us in the church being the light to the world is we need to stop hiding. We put a bushel over our head, right? Why is that? Because we don't want the light to expose our weakness, our insecurities, our problems. But if you get that sorted out, you live in a family where you're secure in the love of God for your life, then you want everybody to be a part of that. There's nothing better than to know that in spite of you, you are loved. And you are in called to better things. So let's be the light to the world. Because currently, what light are they looking to? 
They're looking to the glowing rectangle God that we take with us everywhere. The one in our pocket that we pull out every time we feel a little uncomfortable. The one that we mount on our wall in the most prime space in our house so everybody can see our rectangle God. Or the one that you build a little altar to and you put a little wheelie chair and you go up and you're on your rectangle all day at work. We have such an obsession with screens in our world because we think Google is going to help us. We think that the words are going to set us free. They are absolutely useful. I'm not saying they are evil. But man, if you let them, they will take over your life. I find myself, I told, I told my wife, if I have my phone at the table, not even looking at it, but if I have it at the table, tell me to put it somewhere else. Because when we sit down to dinner, there's just no way. I know that I'm not supposed to look at my phone. But if my phone's there and whatever, I don't even think it has to vibrate for me to want to check it. I just end up grabbing it. She's like, Jesse, you're on your phone again. Okay, well, we solved that problem. We're going to put the phone away from the table. But think about that. I'm a fully grown adult. I have decent self-discipline. And yet I cannot not pick up the phone if it's next to me. That's a problem. (laughs) Amen? Now, I hope that every one of you is thinking, wow, I should probably think about my phone and not, wow, what a schmuck. But there is a difficulty in our culture where we think we have all the answers. You only have Google. That is not all the answers. It might help you with a math problem, but what should I do? Google cannot answer. Only God can tell you. Only the church illuminated by the light of Christ can lead you in the good life that we all crave. Let's be the light to the world. So instead of going to Google, they go to us. That's the idea of a city set on a hill. When you're traveling in darkness, instead of pulling out your phone and going to Google, they say, I got to get to that city. Look at it. It's all lit up. I want to be a part of them. But you know what? That means we've got to grow up. There are many times in my life where I wouldn't have wanted to ask me for advice. If I think really, like, am I going to go to this guy? This guy who has all these lists of problems? So we all need to grow up because you know what? It's not just about us. We're not the glowing center of the universe. God is. And the church needs us to be all about him so that we can be the light that leads everybody to him. He will give us wisdom if we make our lives all about him. In fact, I want to say one thing. We get a little confused because we think our whole goal is to get back to the garden, right? That's one of the ideas, right? We're going to get back to the garden of Eden where there's this kind of naive pleasure and goodness and we eat fruit and we're vegetarians and all this stuff. And we get this language that's, it's not biblical. Our job is to build a city, to bring the kingdom of God and the city of God to earth. We are a city set on the hill. We go from the walled garden to the city of Jerusalem. Now, there's some beautiful imagery in the garden imagery that we can take forward. Absolutely wonderful. Great. But I want you to know that we are meant to build cities of the kingdom of God, which means there's going to be organization, hierarchy, communication, infrastructure. We need to build things that people can rely on because God knows they can't rely on California's infrastructure, organization, hierarchy, right? So we need to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, a city set on a hill. Let's move to this um, last point we're going to talk about today. In 
Verse 17, Jesus follows up what he's saying, and he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what's Jesus saying here? He says, you're going to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city set on a hill. Now he's getting into the how. How? That's what everybody's saying. How are we? Well, guess what? It's not by abolishing the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. It's actually by fulfilling them. Because there was some rumors going up. This Jesus is weird. He's doing things differently. Maybe he's come to overthrow religion and make everybody just happy. And why can't we be friends? You know, there was, there was these ideas about what Jesus was doing. And Jesus wanted to make it very clear. No, actually the law and the prophets point to me, point to what I'm doing. And I'm here to fulfill them. So what does that mean for us? Us saltless, salty people who need to be re-seasoned. What does that, what does that mean for us? It means that we need to be a part of the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So instead of giving the entire Bible's worth of law and prophets this morning, I am going to just focus on one particular idea that I think encapsulates the whole. The whole point of the law and the prophets can be found in Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant, and talking about the new covenant, and this is God, right? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. The law and the prophets, while there's so much more to it, at the very least it was intended to do this. It was intended to transform you to be like Jesus. It was intended that the law was, that was external, right? The Ten Commandments and the 630 some odd laws that they had to follow in the Old Testament, that you would actually embody goodness in your heart by being transformed. Well, what does that mean, Jesse? Well, glad you asked. Um, A couple of verses after this, Jesus says uh, some of the more famous Sermon on the Mount lines. He starts saying this, you have heard it said lines. So in Matthew 5, 21, he says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. Very easy. Have any of you, raise your hands, killed someone? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there's this idea, a cut and dry, have you murdered? No. Okay, great. Love it. But he takes it farther. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable of hellfire. Jesus That seems unrealistic. What is he trying to get at here? What he's saying is, he doesn't just want you to control yourself on the external side. He doesn't want you walking around thinking, well, I have never murdered that filthy piece of you-know-what-my-brother Gavin, blah, 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 right? (laughs) Those of you who know Gavin probably think that's funnier than those of you who don't, but there's a real sense in which... We can justify ourselves while having wicked hearts. We can say, well, I go to church on Sunday. 
I go to small group. I go to a Christian school. I am a Christian. And Jesus says that's actually not what being a Christian means. What being a Christian means is taking up your cross, following him, entering into death and resurrection. Now, does that mean that all of us need to find a way to actually die physically? No, it means that you have to give up your own desires, your own will, and lay them at the foot of the cross spiritually. Today, you're invited to do that. You're invited, especially as we renew our covenant of baptism, where it says in our baptism we are buried in death with Christ and raised it with him to newness of life. You're invited to remember to lay down your will and look for his. Ultimately, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that your heart has to be transformed, not just your actions. And all of these scriptures that he says, you know, about lust and all these things are getting to the deeper problem. The deeper problem is our disordered affections that I was talking about earlier. We want the wrong things. We live in a thought life that glorifies the wrong things. Our celebrities, right? We're, 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 we're real big fans of these people who live awful lives. And we're like admiring them and modeling our dialogue, our, our thoughts, our life, our, our clothing after people who are living awful lives. I'm not here today to say that you can't like a celebrity who does bad things. I understand they might be really good at the music that they make or the movies that they're in. I'm, I'm really not here to be a judge of all of these things. I'm here to invite you to think about how we are looking and worshiping and imitating the wrong things. And we're losing our saltiness. I could give a whole list of things that 20 years ago we all knew were wrong that we're expected to just go along with today. And man, it is so hard when you're in that conversation to not be like, yeah, they can do what they want. Everything in our culture is pulling us away from the ways that God wants us to live. And I just want to tell you today that it's a lie. Truth, goodness, that abundant life is found here. It's found in the death and resurrection. It's found in the Christian life. It's found in being more righteous, as it says, than the Pharisees and the scribes. More righteous not in how we act, but more righteous in how we live. It's kind of a fine distinction, but you get my point. Is God wants to change who you are on the inside. And that will lead to you living differently. Jesus even said, right, I do nothing except what I see the Father doing and what I hear. I say nothing except what I hear the Father saying. What does he mean? He means he was so shaped by his relationship with the Father that he only said things that the Father would say, that he only did things that the Father would do. So today, as we enter into this rite of baptism and we invite Margot Bloom Harris into that community, as we do that and we're invited to renew our baptismal vows, let's remember that we're being invited into the transformation that is the Christian life. Let's get salty today. Let's turn our lights on. Let's be a city set on a hill. The world needs us. Amen? Amen. Amen. If the family of the baptism could come forward. Let me grab my book over here. Oh, that's dad's.
Oh, yeah. <laughs> the candidate for holy baptism will now be presented. I present Margot Bloom Harris to receive the sacrament of baptism. Will you be responsible for seeing that the child you present is brought up in the Christian faith and life? I will, with God's help. Will you, by your prayers and witness, help this child to grow into the full stature of Christ? I will, with God's help. Everybody here? <laughs> That's what was wrong. We weren't all here. Now we are. Okay. Do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? I renounce them. Do you renounce all sinful desires to draw you from the love of God? I renounce them. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior? I do. And do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? I do. Do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? I do. To the congregation, will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support Margot in her life in Christ? We will. Let us join with those who are committing themselves to Christ and renew our own baptismal covenant. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers? I will, with God's help. Will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? I will, with God's help. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? I will, with God's help. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? I will, with God's help. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people? and respect the dignity of every human being, born and unborn? I will, with God's help. Let us now pray for this child who is to receive the sacrament of new birth. Deliver her, O Lord, from the way of sin and death. Lord, hear our prayer. Open her heart to your grace and truth. Lord, hear our prayer. Fill her with your holy and life-giving spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. Keep her in the faith and communion of your holy church. Lord, hear our prayer. Teach her to love others in the power of the Spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. 
Send her into the world and witness to your love. Lord, hear our prayer. Bring her to the fullness of your peace and glory. Lord, hear our prayer. Grant, O Lord, that all who are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, your Son, may live in the power of his resurrection and look for him to come again in glory, who lives and reigns now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with you, so with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. We thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In it, your son Jesus received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ, to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. We thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we're buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. And through it, we're reborn by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in joyful obedience to your Son, we bring into his fellowship those who come to him in faith, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now sanctify this water, we pray you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that those who here are cleansed from sin and born again may continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Savior. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Margot Bloom Harris, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and knocked in the head at the same time. Margot, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. That's a long time. <laughs> Wonderful. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by the water and the Holy Spirit you bestowed upon this your servant the forgiveness of sin and raised her to a new life of grace. Sustain her, O Lord, in your Holy Spirit. Give her an inquiring and discerning heart, the courage and will to persevere, a spirit to know and to love you in the gift of joy and wonder in all your works. Okay. Let us welcome the newly baptized. We receive you into the household of God. Confess the faith of Christ crucified. Proclaim his resurrection and share with us in his eternal priesthood. Receive the light of Christ and always walk in it.
received this stole as a symbol of the priesthood of all believers. Yeah, it looks good on you. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 all right, let's see. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And with, with your spirit. Greet one another in the name of the Lord. Well, I want to uh, tell you that that, of course, is only the beginning of a Christian life where we initiate a lifelong experience well, well uh, explained by uh, Jesse Harris this morning. That's just a great word. I, uh, I want uh, Thomas to come up. Because we don't just slap water on them and send them home, but we we deal with each other over a lifetime. And uh, these two uh, are the ones we uh, send our children away with, and they do an amazing job. I've known these two since uh, Hawaii. Ten. Ten years ago. They, 30, 30 years. Oh, I'm 30. <laughs> well, that would make me 56. <laughs> I, I, tell us, you want to have some kids come up and do testify? I just heard it was life-changing for several people. I have to thank my wonderful wife who has this amazing skill for organizing things. Um, I could set up every lesson in the world, but it does not come together without Kristen, and she is just wonderful and amazing. Uh, and I'm so proud of her uh, her lessons and, and, and uh, just her receiving her anointing as a teacher as well. Uh, I, I just like to let Christian talk. Hi. Um, yeah, I just really wanted to come up here and say thank you to everyone in the church who supported, who prayed for us, and who has continually supported the youth group over the years. It was one of the most powerful moves of the Holy Spirit I've ever seen in my life. It was life-changing for me, and I know it was for these kids, too. And it just really, we talked a lot about community and having mentors and Thomas talked about how Bishop Adler mentored him. Kristen talked about how Mrs. Conkle mentored her and Jane with Kristen. And Thomas and I also talked about how Bishop's word at the men's retreat really impacted us. And it was just, it's clear that the 40 years of being faithful, of being in St. Michael's, of the community that you guys have built, 
and how and how in the way that our leaders in the church have walked with God, God is pouring out blessings for that on these youth, on these kids. And it's so powerful to see how like how I've been impacted by the elders of this church and I'm able to turn around and uh talk with these kids and these kids are just receiving the fullness of the blessing of the work that the people of this church have been putting in for years for longer than I've been alive and I'm just so incredibly blessed to be part of this church and all these kids are so incredibly blessed to have all you people to learn from and to work with and so I just wanted to say thank you to the um, members of this church for all the countless hours of support and prayer and thoughts that go toward the youth of the church and toward the youth leaders in this church. So thank you guys so much. Hi. Um, so God just really moved um, this weekend, and I didn't really know what to expect going up there, but I can confidently say that I have never felt the Holy Spirit um, as strongly as I did while I was there. Um, these kids are just on fire for God. They were intentional. They were um, just really expectant. And so I just encourage you guys during this week, and especially when you come to church, just be expectant that God is going to speak to you because he wants to, he's ready to, and he just needs you guys to just put in the effort and believe that he's going to speak to you. Amen. Amen. You know, I think of uh, the, the testimony that the guys were giving me about Eugene, and I, it reminded me of uh, the alien, that movie. All these years, and inside of her was this dynamo <laughs> that was released this weekend, and I tell you what, I can hardly wait to receive your ministry myself. Hallelujah. Praise be to God for what God does in these young people. I will tell you more than we could have asked or imagined is the power that God moved over our young people this weekend. You could not have asked for more. It is the fullness of his anointing over their life to see kids embrace their gifts, receive their gifts, be told their gifts, and operate in their gifts. Three hours of prophetic ministry they facilitated through the Holy Spirit. It was super powerful, and all I can do is say, Thank you, God, for doing what you promised. Yeah? Outstanding. I had a lot of folks up there. That was really good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, announcements. First, I want to welcome some special visitors. Kim, you're down. I appreciate you being here for, you've been two years, right, since you've been back? Yeah. <laughs> so glad you're back. It's really nice. And then Haley's mom, Heather, is here out helping with the baby. So it's really nice to have her here from the East Coast. Uh, and we appreciate her being here. Probably on the screens, we're going to have men's meeting uh, the 18th, which is not this Saturday, but the next Saturday. And then right after that, on the 21st, is our pancake supper down in the parish hall at 630. And then Ash Wednesday is the next day. And there'll be two times for the Ash Wednesday, 8 a.m. Uh, during the church, uh, the school's uh, service, and then at 7 p.m., 7 p.m. that night for Ash Wednesday. Okay.
as we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, if you have much faith, if you have little, you have been here often or you haven't been here long. You who tried to follow, you who failed. You come because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his will that those who want him should be right here at the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death, and he's called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you call us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. So with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and we join in their unending hymn of praise. fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, a death he freely accepted, he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance for me. 
When supper was ended, he took the cup, and again he gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died, Christ Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all the clergy. Remember especially those who are sick and firm in spirit, soul, or body. We pray this day for Susan, Naomi, Sonja, Sandra, Karen, and Tammy, and David. Now, Nancy, Jerry, Lilana, the Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton and all those serving in our armed services, you may add names of those of whom you're praying. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, the martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper. Of the land.
It's been my experience. If you invite the Holy Spirit to move, the Holy Spirit will move. <laughs> uh, if a couple of you men, maybe younger men, after the service could go downstairs. I understand we have some kind of a water issue going on. And uh, maybe you could swab the decks or whatever that's going to be required. I, I don't know. In joyful thanksgiving, let us pray. Eternal, Eternal God, God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Yes, we're the good guys. Not always, as Jesse reminded us. That's a great word. Remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against him. He loves us. He created us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.